Wouldn't you like to receive all that the Lord has for you? Here's Pastor Ed Taylor speaking of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Don't get the idea of you getting more of the Holy Spirit. Have instead the idea of the Holy Spirit getting more of you. The difference between on a hot day taking a glass of water, water speaking of the Holy Spirit. You have a big, tall glass of cold ice water and you take it in and it's refreshing and it hits the spot and it feels so good. But right around the corner, there's a pool. And not only do you take the water in, but you go and jump in the pool where not only do you have the Holy Spirit in you, but you are submerged in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. There were a lot of problems in the church at Corinth, and we've certainly noticed that in recent studies here on Abounding Grace. And today we'll observe an ignorance or lack of understanding concerning spiritual gifts. The same is true today in many believers. And so Pastor Ed Taylor is going to help us come to an understanding of how the Holy Spirit works in and through our lives. Beginning today, we'll set out to gain a right understanding of spiritual gifts with 1 Corinthians 12 in view. Let's join Pastor Ed there now. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 1, opens up a new section now as Paul's writing to the church in Corinth. He's beginning to teach on the topic of spiritual giftings and God using spiritual giftings in believers to minister the gospel both to the unsaved and to the saved. Before we even get into it, though, I want you to think back, if you can, and put yourself in the position of the disciples right before the ascension of Jesus, right before he leaves earth and enters into heaven. What a ride the previous three years have been, walking alongside Jesus, serving with him, the ups, the downs, the crucifixion, the resurrection, the days of Jesus' appearances, and in Mark's gospel, you can jot it down, at the, at the ascension, after the resurrection, as Jesus is ascending into heaven, listen to this, it's Mark 16, verse 19 says, so then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God, and they went out and preached everywhere. That was their response. Jesus was received up into heaven and they went out preaching everywhere. And listen to this. This is so cool. The Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying signs. Amen. It's at the very end of the book of Mark and it's easy to miss, but understand what's going on here. Jesus has just ascended into heaven. The disciples take off and do what they were told to do, preaching the gospel. And the Bible says that the Lord was ministering with them, confirming the work with them by these signs and wonders. The question is this, how is it possible for Jesus to be at the right hand of the Father in heaven and still at the same time be with the disciples on earth, the Holy Spirit. 
the person in the presence of the Holy Spirit. Listen to Jesus now. Turn over to John chapter 14. It's possible for Jesus to ascend into heaven, and he did, yet still being with the disciples, ministering, working with them, working with you. Listen to Jesus here in John's gospel, chapter 14, beginning in verse 12. John 14, verse 12, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he'll do also, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to my Father, the ascension. Greater works are going to happen. Why? Because Jesus is going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, verse 13, that I will do, and the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, another comforter, some of your translations might say. This is a reference to the Holy Spirit. The word another is very important in the original language. It means another of the same kind. The very person, the deity of the Holy Spirit is coming, replacing the presence of Jesus Christ. I will give you another helper that he may abide with you. What does your Bible say? Forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you orphans. I will come to you. What a promise for those that believe in Jesus Christ. Greater works will you and I do. Greater works. Think about the works that Jesus did. He helped. He healed. He performed miracles. And because of the works of Jesus, many have misunderstood what are these greater works exactly? What are these greater works? And some say that the greater works will be this crazy manifestation of incredible signs and wonders greater than even Jesus did. Others say it was just a promise to the disciples. So these greater works, some will teach, don't worry about it. It's not for you now. It was for them then. You don't need to worry about it. We'll see by the time we end today of the different extremes that people might take with the work of the Holy Spirit, how we want to be careful to balance out what the Bible teaches. Others say that the types of greater works that Jesus refers to here only applies to those super special spiritual believers that have a super amount of faith. And if you have a super amount of faith, then maybe you can too can do greater works. I want you to step out of the physical realm for a second because Jesus isn't referring primarily to the physical realm of us as believers or the disciples. It's obvious from the very beginning of chapter 14 and verse 1 that there is an eternal perspective that Jesus is trying to give the believers. He's trying to tell us spiritual things here in chapter 14. If you look at it from a spiritual perspective, apart from any healing, as important and powerful our healings are, apart from any sign or wonder, what is the greatest work that's ever happened on the earth among humans? What do you think it is? It's salvation. There's nothing greater on the earth, even of the miracle of resurrection, even of the miracle of healing leprosy, that anything that you could look at in the power of the signs and wonders, there is nothing greater on the earth than seeing a person rebelling against God, lost in their trespasses and sins, well, that might describe you right now. That might be your life. 
Your life right now is lived dabbling in spiritual things. That's why you're in church. That's why you're listening to this. That's why you have a Bible. Why spiritual things are starting to become important to you. You're getting a little bit older. You might have a child. You are seeing a family developed. And all of a sudden now you're beginning to think about spiritual things. Thinking about spiritual things is very, very good, but it's not enough. We can think on a lot of things and not act on them. As you begin to think through on spiritual things, understand that you have a spirit. The Bible declares that we as human beings are body, soul, and spirit. Jesus, the Son of God, fully God, and yet also fully human, was sent to the earth for a very specific mission, a very specific task. Jesus, you could say, you know how beautiful it is when you think of Christmas and you have the little baby Jesus and how cute and how unoffensive a baby is. And you go, oh, I, I love the baby Jesus. Understand, that baby Jesus grew up. He grew up to live a life of perfect holiness, perfect perfection in and of himself. He is the epitome. Jesus would tell us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one can come to the Father. You're well aware of this. There's great tension among world religions today. But not all the world religions can be right. There are contradictions among the world religions. And every world religion, every movement of man, every following of man comes to the roadblock of what the Bible says in John chapter 14. Speaking Jesus himself, declaring, I am the way. And he says it emphatically, I'm the only way. He says, I am the truth. He embodies, he is the embodiment of truth. And he is the way, the truth, and he says he's the life. And through that, he says, hey, no one else can come to the Father except through me. I'm the only way. Any other way that's offered is a contradiction to what Jesus said. Sometimes that'll be, you know, I'm not into that religion. I'm not into that exclusivity. Then that means you're not into Jesus. Because Jesus said there's only one way. And your battle right now, even maybe you're battling with me right now, your battle's actually not with me. The battle you're having in your mind is in the person and with the person of Jesus Christ. We didn't develop what Jesus said. We simply received it and acted on it. So that Jesus not only declares to be the only way, he says, here's the way out. That if you believe in me, your sins will be forgiven. That's really the essence. That's something that we all share, all of us as humans. Every single one of us has an issue in our life. Even if you could only isolate one small mistake that you've ever made in your life, just the smallest, like for instance, you meant to walk down the aisle and you tripped over the aisle. You just made a little trip. You, you wanted to do 20 steps, but you only made 19. You know what that makes you? It makes you imperfect. And simple, just making a goal of walking. I'm going to, you know, how you, you know, a lot of people are going to, I'm going to go walk a mile. And you walk exactly 0.99. You didn't walk a mile. Yes, I did. No, you didn't. It was 0.99. If you just went two more steps, you would have made it. Life is like that. It's really insignificant when it's walking a mile or 20 steps. But when it comes to your soul, it's very significant. I believe if you were really honest with us, we could identify at least one time in your life, one errant thought, one bad action, one curse word that came out of your mouth, some covetous desire 
we could find, if you would be honest with us, at least one time. Because there's that battle. Well, you know, I'm a good person. I'm good. I'm good. And I'm sure you are good, but you're not perfect. And that's the requirement of God, perfection. I love that about God because in his requirement, he also makes the provision. He doesn't dangle it out and go, you guys are all toast. Forget about it. You've all sinned and there's no hope for you. There is hope for you in Jesus Christ. Jesus has provided the way out. And for some of you, tonight's the night you're going to take that way out. By repenting of your sins, we'll be able to participate. We'll be able to see. We'll be able to rejoice with you. We'll be able to see the greatest work ever to happen on the earth. Salvation. A life rescued and saved. Turned around. Going in one direction your whole life. Even a good direction. You know, good people can become gooder. If that's such a word. Gooder. Better. Good people can begin to do good things with the right motives. A lot of good is done in the world for the wrong motives. To bring attention to ourselves, to feel good, to appease our conscience. Think about it this way. When you're right with Jesus Christ, the good that you do is for his glory and his fame. Bringing people attention to the work and the greatness of God, not just those secondary things that we receive because we've done good. You have pure motives. God begins to work on your heart. He begins to comfort you and encourage you. He he begins to give you strength and power and hope and provision away from sin. It's an incredible, incredible relationship that you can have with Jesus. And friend, no matter what sign and wonder you've ever seen, what dream or vision you've ever had, whatever crazy miracle you've seen, maybe even been a part of, salvation is even greater. The Bible says in the last days that the Antichrist is going to come with lying Signs and wonders. We don't point you tonight to signs and wonders. We point you to Jesus Christ. And when Jesus says, greater works you'll see than what he's seen, it's incredible to think that through as salvation is very important to God. It's very important that you're right with him before the coming of the Lord, that your life is rescued. For the disciples, this came true. And so you and I are able to see it as well. For the disciples, this promise of greater works came true because in the next three months, they would see more salvations take place in their lives than Jesus did in the entirety of the three years he was on the earth. Talk about greater works. And how many more countless millions upon billions since the ascension of Jesus Christ has the Holy Spirit brought to the Father through the conviction of sin? That's incredible. A helper is promised, a comforter. I want you to see real quick, we've looked at this in depth in other studies, but in verse 17, we see the, we see the work of the Holy Spirit, the person of the Holy Spirit sent to help and empower believers. There are three experiences that a person can have with the Holy Spirit. We see two of them here in verse 17. It says that the Holy Spirit dwells with you. There's a Greek word there if you want to jot it down if you haven't already. It's the Greek word para, P-A-R-A. Similar to the English word we have in paramedic, to come alongside a medic, para, to come alongside. The Holy Spirit is alongside unbelievers. Before I was saved, the Holy Spirit is in the world drawing me. Before I was saved, he was drawing me and convicting me of sin and drawing me to the Father. The Holy Spirit's with me, bringing conviction and revealing a person's need. Beautiful work of the Holy Spirit. Every human being has that relationship 
with the Spirit, the with or the para. He dwells with you. Notice in the future now, Jesus said for the disciples, the second experience is that the Holy Spirit will be in you. The Greek word's very similar. It's en, E-N. This is the work of salvation, the promise of the Holy Spirit coming in you and sealing you, being the guarantee of your salvation. Every believer has the Holy Spirit in them, not unbelievers. Unbelievers have the Holy Spirit with them. Believers have the Holy Spirit in them. And we looked at this in on the day of Pentecost or the promise of Jesus, even where the day of Pentecost is when it happened, but the promise of Jesus was the third experience that a person can have with the Holy Spirit, and that is the upon experience. Jesus promised they were supposed to wait in Jerusalem, remember, in Acts. They were told to wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them. That's a Greek word, epi, E-P-I. Turn over real quick, you can mark it, so you have these together in Acts chapter 1. This is the upon experience, or it's commonly referred to as the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and we've gone into this in depth. I encourage you to get the study as you look at it in depth. But in verse 8 of chapter 1 of the book of Acts, Jesus says, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit's come upon you. That's the word epi, E-P-I in the Greek. There's that relationship with the Holy Spirit where he overflows you. The idea of baptism is being fully submerged. Don't get the idea of you getting more of the Holy Spirit. Have instead the idea of the Holy Spirit getting more of you. The difference between on a hot day taking a glass of water, water speaking of the Holy Spirit. You have a big, tall glass of cold ice water and you take it in and it's refreshing and it hits the spot and it feels so good. But right around the corner, there's a pool. And not only do you take the water in, but you go and jump in the pool where not only do you have the Holy Spirit in you, but you are submerged in the power and the presence of the Holy Spirit. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, wanting to receive all that the Lord has for you. Jesus promises that the Spirit will come, that the Spirit will teach, that the Spirit will bring to your remembrance, and that the Spirit will abide with you, believers. That's his promise. With that in mind, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, just like Jesus promised, the Holy Spirit was in and active in the church in Corinth. But, isn't that a bummer to use that word most of the time? You say something really good, and then someone says, but, and you're like, oh, no. It's so true with the church in Corinth. The Holy Spirit was there, moving. He tells them earlier that they come short in no spiritual gift. They are moving and flowing in the Spirit. But, like with the other problems that the church had, they had problems with the Holy Spirit, too. There were excesses and abuses in relation to the Holy Spirit. That's why people are afraid to talk about the Holy Spirit today. That's why teachers are afraid to teach on the topic of the Holy Spirit because of the abuses and the weirdness that happens and the fear. And it's my prayer as we've gone through these various passages and even as we go through 1 Corinthians 12 for many weeks together that those fears are taken away. And you begin to embrace the work of the Spirit in your life. You can't do it without the Spirit, you know. You can't do anything. I can't do anything without the power of the Holy Spirit. Even if activities are happening in my life, not empowered by the Holy Spirit, not good. 
We want to be walking in the Spirit, yielding to the Spirit, obeying the Spirit, listening to this for the Spirit, listening to the Spirit. Notice verse 1 now, chapter 12. Now concerning spiritual brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. Concerning spiritual brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. One of the sources of the problems in the church was their ignorance. That word you can mark it, it simply means a lack of understanding. Ignorance. A lack of understanding. Paul's heart as a pastor, as a teacher, in this letter. I find that many people confuse Paul because this letter is so heavy. It's one of the heaviest letters. There are a lot of problems in the church in Corinth. And when Paul gets wind of it, he's like, no, this is the way it's got to be. You guys got to stop doing this. I can't praise you in that. People conclude, well, Paul, Paul, come on now. Be easy on them. I don't think that he was hard. I think he was serious. I believe he believed, as the believers did in the first century, that Jesus could come at any moment. It's no time to mess around. Believed in the urgency or the imminent return of Jesus. It's always a danger when you start hearing people downplay the coming of the Lord. It's even especially dangerous when doctrines pop up, even from well-known people that say, well, Jesus already returned. What? Like, what world are you living in? Jesus already returned. That's the hope of heaven, our desire to be reunited with Jesus. Jesus already returned and revelation already happened? Like, what are you, where are you living exactly? Jesus hasn't returned yet, but he is. He's coming soon. He's coming soon to usher in the culmination of world history. I know there's a lot of hope in us being reunited with him, and I say amen, Maranatha, but the coming of the Lord has much more to do with the culmination of history, final judgment. You know how you have some things in your life where they're just unfair? You just seem to wonder, hey, is there any fairness? Is there any justice? Yes, when Jesus returns. Every wrong will be made right when Jesus returns. Every weird doctrine will be wiped out when Jesus returns. Every prophecy fulfilled to a T as Jesus returns and ushers in the culmination of history. Powerful, powerful thing. It's the hope of heaven, the hope of every believer. The Spirit prompts Paul to use this phrase. And anytime you see this phrase of ignorance, let your ears perk up. What you'll find is the four times the instruction about ignorance is used are actually four topics that the church are very ignorant about today. Number one is right here in 1 Corinthians 12. You can just jot it down. I don't want you to be ignorant about spiritual gifts. And so where is there a big ignorance in the church today? Spiritual gifts. There is an aversion to teaching of the spiritual gifts. Another one you can jot it down in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. He tells the Corinthian church in his next letter, he says, lest Satan should take advantage of us because we're not ignorant of his devices. Unfortunately, I find a lot of believers are ignorant of the devices of the enemy. The weirdness. Automatically, there is this temptation to battle people when that's a device of the enemy, man. You know that, right? To get you at odds with people, that's a device of the enemy. Our Bible says that we wrestle not against flesh and blood. You're not, I'm not going to be able to win wars or arguments with words or boxing gloves. It's not going to happen. It's a spiritual battle that's going to be won spiritually. 
Hey, thanks for listening to Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. You can hear this message again online at AboundingGraceRadio.com or listen through our app. Search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play. Well, maybe you're looking for a good book to go through. Here in the month of March, we've picked out an excellent one written by Warren Wearsby. It ties in quite nicely to our current study, too. It's called On Being a Servant. You know, sometimes we lose sight of what ministry and service is all about as we get overwhelmed by the pressures and needs that surround us. Be encouraged and strengthened by the wisdom that Warren Wiersbe shares in this easy-to-read book. We'll send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. Just call and ask for On Being a Servant of God. Our number, 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Abounding Grace is made possible through the generous support of our listeners. As we continue to deliver God's Word one verse at a time, we're looking to our listeners for help. Together, we can reach people with the love and truth of Christ and make a difference in these last days. To make a secure donation, drop by AboundingGraceRadio.com or call us 877-30-GRACE. And be sure to join Pastor Ed Taylor next time. That's right here on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.